Isaiah chapter 11, if you'll find that place there. Welcome again to Grace, and so grateful that you're here to worship with us today. We're in the book of Isaiah, uh, lots of conversation about this. I appreciate the feedback that many of you are giving me and talking about it in your community groups. So we're grateful to be in this wonderful book. The first 10 chapters of Isaiah, we've come to see that on earth and in human history, kings and kingdoms fail. Sin in the form of pride and violence and injustice and unfaithfulness to God abounds. And we've seen in the first 10 chapters that God's just judgments are real and ongoing and coming. These chapters have largely dealt with the sin and the unfaithfulness and the failure of God's people. Judah in the south, Israel in the north, along the way, thankfully, there are hints, hints of grace and salvation and deliverance of a remnant, that's there too. Along the way, in the first 10 chapters, other nations have been mentioned, coming into view just barely, but mostly in these first 10 chapters, it's been about the sin and the judgment of the Holy God against the Holy God's judgment against the sin of His people. That's the theme. If you'll look two chapters over to chapter 13, you'll see that a new section is coming. Not today, we'll get there, but a new section is coming. There's going to be a shift there. The focus for several chapters will be on God's judgment of the nations around His nation, His people, their sins, and God's judgment upon them. Because God is Lord of all the nations. God is Lord of the whole world. God is not just Lord of a certain people. So certain people confess Him as Lord. But He's sovereign over all. So chapter 13 is going to take us into a new section in the book of Isaiah. But we're looking at Isaiah 11 and 12 this week and next week. And something different is here. Something new is put before us in these chapter something hopeful it's the message of the messiah messiah means anointed one it's the message of the anointed one of god who will come as light you many of you have made comment that isaiah is a little darker than you remembered and into that comes this light this Messiah he's telling us about with a whole new way of ruling in a whole new world to come. This is God's will. This is God's plan. It will be accomplished. His own zeal will accomplish it. Sin and darkness and dysfunction are not the final end. They will finally end when Messiah reigns. So Isaiah in chapter 11 sets a vision of the Messiah before us so that we'll see and trust, believe, take courage, and be faithful. Today it's all about seeing. If that's all you do today is see, that's enough. Chapter 12, next week, we're going to sing, not just in the service of singing but it's a song chapter 12 is it's about the song of the redeemed people who see the messiah the next two weeks chapter 11 and 12 wonderful passages today chapter 11 let's see the messiah stand with me in honor of god's word 
There shall come forth a shoot from the stump of Jesse, and a branch from the roots shall bear fruit, and the Spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him, the Spirit of wisdom and understanding, the Spirit of counsel and might, the Spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. And his delight shall be in the fear of the Lord, and he shall not judge by what his eyes see or decide disputes by what his ears hear, but with righteousness he shall judge the poor and decide with equity for the meek of the earth, and he shall strike the earth with the rod of his mouth, and with the breath of his lips he shall kill the wicked. Righteousness shall be the belt of his waist, and faithfulness the belt of his loins. The wolf shall dwell with the lamb, and the leopard shall lie down with the young goat, and the calf, and the lion, and the fattened calf together, and the little child shall lead them. The cow and the bear shall gaze, their young shall lie down together, and the lion shall eat straw like the ox. The nursing child shall play over the hole of the cobra, and the weaned child shall put his hand at the adder's den. They shall not hurt or destroy in all my holy mountain, for the earth shall be full of the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. In that day, the root of Jesse, who shall stand as a signal for the peoples, of him shall the nations inquire, and his resting place shall be glorious. In that day, the Lord will extend his hand yet a second time to recover a remnant that remains of his people from Assyria, from Egypt, from Pathros, from Cush, from Elam, from Shinar, from Hamath, and from the coastlands of the sea. And he will raise a signal for the nations and will assemble the banished of Israel and gather the dispersed of Judah from the four corners of the earth. The jealousy of Ephraim shall depart and those who harass Judah shall be cut off and Ephraim shall not be jealous of Judah and Judah shall not harass Ephraim. But they shall swoop down on the shoulder of the Philistines in the west and together they shall plunder the peoples of the east. They shall put out their hand against Edom and Moab, and the Amorites shall obey them. And the Lord will utterly destroy the tongue of the sea of Egypt and will wave his hand over the river with his scorching breath and strike it into seven channels, and he will lead people across in sandals. And there will be a highway from Assyria for the remnant that remains of his people as there was for Israel, when they came up out of the land of Egypt. This is God's word. You may be seated. All of the kings of Israel and Judah were thought to be anointed. So in one sense, they're all messiahs. But what a contrast this one is to them. They failed. This one in Isaiah 11 is faithful. Their failure led to captivity in exile. This one brings a future of righteousness and peace. They were at war with the nations. This one gathers his people from the nations. As the word unfolds and redemptive history continues, the light shines in the darkness and we come to see that Jesus Christ is this Messiah King in Isaiah. 
what Isaiah stirred the hearts of his own people to long for, the Messiah, we now know to be Jesus, who came to us in history. But still, we wait. Messiah came, but still we wait. Like the people of Isaiah's day, we are longing for the fullness of Christ's reign in a new way, in a whole new world. So we're waiting like they did. And we're waiting in faith. I hope you're in faith. I hope you're not just faking it. If you are, let's talk about it. Let's pray about it. Say so. Don't fake that you're faking it. But I hope you're in faith and hope. Let's be in hope today. Hope for His return. Let's love the appearing of our Lord Jesus. We're waiting too. I believe Isaiah 11 is here for us to see. We, we want to, we need to see with the mind's eye, the eyes of the heart, the Bible calls them. Isaiah 11 is here so that we can see the glorious and gracious Messiah and His reign. He is put here for us to behold. That's why this is written. He wrote it for us to behold the person. Because seeing, this is a reality, it's a spiritual reality. I wish I had the power to awaken my own heart to see. And I wish I had the power to awaken your heart to see. But none of us has the power to awaken our hearts to see. The Spirit must awaken us. And so even now as I'm saying it, I'm praying it. Seeing with the eyes of the heart is believing. Seeing is hoping. Seeing, not with the physical eyes, but with the eyes of the heart, is valuing and loving, and it's life-transforming. One God-revealed vision of Christ is worth more than all the moralistic self-help sermons and books in all the world. One vision of Christ changes everything. If you and I go home today seeing and understanding and comprehending to the extent that we can because He's beyond us, He's glorious, but to the extent that we can comprehend and be convinced of and embraced Christ, then the Spirit has been very kind to us today through the Word, to accomplish the work that we need to be saved. So what do we see about the coming one, the Messiah? What do we see about the coming day that today is calling forth from us, this, this vision of Christ that's calling out of us faith and hope and is stirring up our love for Him? I'll give you several things. The first is this. We see that the Messiah in Isaiah 11 is Jesus Christ. Verse 1, 
He's called the shoot from the stump of Jesse. Now, the Bible builds to the reveal. The prophets spoke, it's the Old Testament, and they're building to the great reveal. They spoke centuries before Christ. And then came his, what we call, incarnation, taking on humanity to himself. In his birth, we continue to see his incarnation. In his life, he was born a human, God, man, lived that way, died that way, and was raised that way. And the reveal in its first stage has happened. He came. And there's so much more to be revealed when he comes again. Christ will come again, and he has a name, Jesus. So verse 1, it says, There shall come forth a shoot from the stump of Jesse, a branch from his roots shall bear fruit. This Messiah, this Christ, someone is called a shoot from the stump of Jesse. Now, who is Jesse? He's the father of King David. And King David is the one that the Lord promised would have a son on his throne forever, 2 Samuel chapter 7. And the house and the dynasty of David at this point, though, is in decline. God had promised a king from the line of David forever, but now they're in decline. Soon they will be taken captive into exile. They are now reduced to a stump. It's all there is of this great Davidic dynasty, a stump, yet a stump remains. And from the stump, a shoot will emerge. It's going to grow. It's going to prosper. It's going to bear much fruit. John 15. Jesus says, I'm the vine. You are the branches. You abide in me, you'll bear much fruit. It's Christ's fruit through the branches, all to the glory of God. Jesus is this shoot from the stump of Jesse. This is why the Gospels keep referring, when they talk of Jesus, to the son of David. It's important that he's the son of David because he's the shoot from Jesse, the father of David, through the lineage of King David, whom God promised would have a son on the throne forever. It's Jesus. Jesus came from the Davidic line. He's the stump of Jesse. Now remember that this Christmas, because you might be scratching your head every Christmas season, why they keep talking about the son of David and Jesse. Well, that's why. He's Jesus. Verse 10 says, but we'll come back to the other verses. Verse 10 says, in that day, the root of Jesse, who shall stand as a signal for the people. Now he's called the root. The shoot is now called the root. The shoot means that he is from Jesse, David's lineage. Root implies that he's the source of Jesse in David's line. He's the eternal one. But also, root meaning that many people will come from him. He, Jesus, is the producing one. Many people, Jews and Gentiles, will be made into one because they are God's people by faith. They come from the root of Jesse. This is Paul's understanding is where we get this. He, we, we get it from Romans chapter 15 when the apostle Paul speaks of Jesus as the root of Jesse, the one that the Gentiles will gather around. So clearly, 
The Bible reveals Jesus Christ, the one who was born in Bethlehem, to be the one who Israel hoped for centuries before. Jesus is not a pop-up figure. Jesus is not a human hero. Jesus is not a 15-minute-of-fame celebrity. Jesus, according to the witness of the Bible, Old and New Testament, is the Christ, the Messiah, the Anointed One, the true King. All the kings failed. This one is faithful. I wonder how you see Jesus. How do you view Jesus? Is Jesus in your mind in a category with others? Is Jesus a symbol on a whole list of symbols, each equally valid on a bumper sticker? Is Jesus in the lineup of usual suspects? Or is Jesus alone the God-man, the Savior of the world, bearing our death sentence to bear away our condemnation so that we can be forgiven and free? I don't think we take Jesus seriously enough. When he's put before us in the Bible, he's put before us with weight. With weight. You have to decide and you have to declare how you see Jesus. It's the most important decision and declaration you'll ever make. And every person must decide how he or she sees Jesus. Do you see Jesus as your Savior, as your Lord? Do you see Jesus as a friend? Do you see him as your friend, a friend of sinners? If you see Jesus as a friend of sinners, that's going to require that you see yourself as a sinner in need of a Savior and a friend. Do you see this? What's happening now in the eyes of your heart? Are you awakening to the fact that you are a sinner separated from Almighty God and you must have a Savior? And are you awakening to the reality that this Savior, Jesus Christ, is the very Son of God, took human flesh to Himself, humanity to Himself, God-man now, on the cross for your sins. You must see Him like this. This Messiah. We're coming to chapter 53. We're going to see it again. There in chapter 53, more is about this wrath-bearing, sin-bearing servant, suffering servant on our behalf. Do you see Him as such? I pray you do. I hope you do. May the Holy Spirit allow you to. Second, we see him filled with the Holy Spirit. It's an interesting, interesting words to use of the Messiah, Jesus, that he is filled with the Spirit, verse 2. This characteristic of Jesus is so that we will not doubt his ability to reign and to rule in his goodness. It says in verse 2, the Spirit of the Lord rests upon him. The Bible does not use the word Trinity, but the Bible is full of views into the triune nature of God. In verse 2, the Spirit of the Lord shall rest upon Him. Him is Christ, the Messiah. And the Spirit of the Lord, that's God's Spirit. And the Lord is God the Father. It's the triune God. We see this in the New Testament, Matthew chapter 3. When Jesus was baptized, Jesus, the Son of God, 
baptized. And the Holy Spirit descended upon him. And the voice of God the Father spoke and said, This is my Son in whom I am well pleased. A, a fulfillment of Isaiah 11:2. This is characteristic of Jesus. Filled with the Spirit. Six aspects of the Spirit on Christ that he mentions here in Isaiah 11. They're in three pairs. The Spirit, capital S, Holy Spirit of wisdom and understanding. It means that he's able to lead. He leads in the most excellent and perfect way. Jesus needs no advisors in his administration. He is all wise. He leads with counsel and he leads with might. The spirit of counsel and might means he can carry out his purposes. We stand in confidence today. We pray with confidence. We, we rejoice with confidence today that there's not one purpose or plan of Christ that will not stand. No obstacles, no foes. Stopping him. Jesus is able. He's all wise and he's able. And the spirit of knowledge and of the fear of the Lord rests upon him. He's holy. He has the fear of the Lord. He's holy. He lives to obey the Lord. He's good. Now these qualities are lacking among earthly kings. And they're lacking among earthly politicians. And they're lacking among earthly business leaders. They're lacking among all earthly people. These qualities are lacking. We look, we're looking for leaders. And thank the Lord for leadership. It's a gift. But these qualities of wisdom and understanding and counsel and might and knowledge and the fear of the Lord are uniquely those of the Messiah on whom the Spirit rests. These qualities come into fullness through Jesus. Don't doubt Jesus. Don't doubt Jesus' ability to lead you. He has the spirit of wisdom and understanding. Don't doubt Jesus' ability to be your Lord. Don't doubt Jesus' wisdom and his power as your Lord. Don't think on him or feel as if he's unable. He has the counsel, he has the spirit of counsel and might. Don't fear that Jesus' kingdom will be overthrown by another. Death is real and persecution is real. And there are those who can destroy the body. But only one can destroy the soul. And we don't fear him because he's on our side in the man Jesus Christ. Don't fear that his kingdom is going to be overthrown by another. The spirit of the Lord rests on him. Trust him. Submit to him. Rest in him. Today, he is reigning over his people by his spirit-inspired word. There's no division of spirit and word. Somewhere along the way I heard that. I don't know where, I don't know remember, or I don't remember who said it or where I was, but I heard it. It went something, I'm not quoting anybody. It was just the idea that there are those who are word people and those who are spirit people, to which we say, that's nonsense. The spirit of the Lord rests on Jesus. 
The Spirit of the Lord has inspired the Word. Jesus is currently ruling over His people by His Spirit-inspired Word. Let us see this Messiah as one filled, full of the Spirit resting upon Him. Third, we see that Christ's future reign and His future kingdom is in righteousness and in the fear of the Lord. This is verses 3 through 9. It's a longer section in this chapter. And that breaks down into two parts. One part is what He will do. The other is what we will experience. Verses 3 through 5. What will He do? He will reign in righteousness and the fear of the Lord. This is His future reign. Verse 3. He will, when Christ comes and reigns, Fully, he will delight in the fear of the Lord. The fear of the Lord is the reverence and respect of the Lord that leads to obedience. It's a submission to the Lord. Jesus, when he came, found delight in accomplishing what the Father sent him to do. The words of Jesus at the end of his life in John chapter 17, as he's praying, thank the Lord, He let the disciples in on that prayer because he recorded it. And Jesus said, Father, I have glorified your name because I accomplished the work that you gave me to do. He delighted in the fear of the Lord. And Messiah, Jesus, judges rightly and with equity and with truth. All of his decisions and actions now and in the future are in truth. They are not by appearances. There is so much misjudgment going on because we don't know the truth. Whether it be the capital T truth or whether it be just the facts. We're judging constantly by appearances. Not our Savior, not our Messiah. He judges with truth. Verse 4, the poor and the meek, they'll be addressed again. By Jesus in Matthew chapter 5, they're the spiritually needy, the humble, the open, the receptive. They will be revealed as the people of faith who will inherit the kingdom of God. This reign of the Messiah will show the wicked and the unbelieving as judged. And that will reveal the righteousness of his judgment. Verse 5. All that he does and will do will be right and it will be in faithfulness to God the Father and to his people who he has made a covenant with. We have to see this. I pray you see that Jesus is right and everything he does is faithful. Everything he does is faithful. Verses 6 through 9. What we will experience. Verse 9, we'll go to 9 and then come back to 6. Verse 9, the earth shall be full of the knowledge of the Lord. That's the key to this section. The earth will be full of the knowledge of the Lord. And what happens when the earth is finally full of the knowledge of the Lord like we long for it to be? What happens? Verses 6 through 8, peace. It's almost a joke. It's almost a joke. The way we speak of peace. What do you want for Christmas? World peace. Ha, ha, ha. 
It's a joke. No. With Jesus, it is serious. Serious peace. Wolves, look at this, verses 6 through 8. Wolves, lambs, leopards, goats, bears, cobras, and children. All together. Peace. That's the reign of the righteous one. That's the reign of Messiah. No curse. Since Genesis 3, no wolf and lamb has been together without a fight, without death. Since the beginning of time, no child's ever been safe around a cobra. But when Messiah reigns, peace, no curse, no enmity, no fear, no harm, no threat of harm, no trauma, no trauma, no abuse, no destruction, no deconstruction. Do you see what Messiah will do? Do you see what Messiah has secured for your future if you are in him? Now, you can't see it with your eyes right now. But you can see it in your heart. Faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. Not seen with the physical eye, but seen in the heart. We see by faith the vision that God in His grace grants the heart and the mind given by the Word and the Spirit. Set your sights there. Set your hope on Him. Look for Christ's return. The king and the kingdom and the kingdom have come. The king has come. He was born of a virgin. And he looked at people and he said, The kingdom of God is in your midst. But the king and the kingdom will come again in fullness. And I want you to know something. These are two realities that the king has come and that the king will come. The kingdom has come and the kingdom will come. Two realities that rests solely on the sovereignty of God. We cannot bring in the kingdom of God. We didn't bring it the first time. We won't bring it the second time. What are we doing then? We are remaining faithful to King Jesus. We are trusting. We are seeking. We are setting our hope on Him. Finally, we see that he will gather his people around himself. Verses 10 through 16, beautiful passage. Let me read verse 10 to you again. In that day, the root of Jesse, who shall stand as a signal for the peoples, of him shall the nations inquire, and his resting place shall be glorious. The Messiah, Jesus Christ, will stand as a signal. That means he will stand as a banner of salvation. He will stand as a rallying point. And the nations will inquire. That means the nations will rally around Jesus. It has to be one of my favorite images 
in all the Bible of Jesus Christ being a rallying point, a place to meet up for people from all the nations. And his resting place, that place of where he reigns, where people are at rest, the place of the kingdom will be glorious. Again, the Apostle Paul used this passage in Romans 15 to say that that Gentiles, that is the nation, the non-Jewish nations, are going to come under the rule and the reign of the Jewish Messiah, Jesus, and find hope and salvation in Him. Christ is the rallying point, the, the signal for the nations. Verses 12 and 13, repeat it. They say it again. For all who believe the gospel, Jesus is the rallying point. We rally at the cross together in repentance and faith. Just You, you can picture this. You can picture people from every nation being convicted of their sin, knowing that there's a Savior and come and all around the foot of the cross, bowing low, rejoicing to see each other there. The rallying point around the signal of Jesus. And then you can see this mass of people rallied together outside of an empty tomb. All of them too, by faith, being raised up with Jesus Christ. And you can see this nation of people all rallied around Jesus, following after him like pilgrims, making a pilgrimage to a holy city where they come to the throne of Christ around him with no more jealousy, no more antagonism. It says in verse 13, Ephraim and Judah are finally going to get along. God's people are going to get along. The banished exiles are going to be recovered complete strangers, Gentiles like you and me. I'm not Jewish. Me, a stranger, far off from the the covenants of God, are going to be welcomed in to a family. Verse 14, we're going to reign with Christ over Christ's enemies. Verse 15, nothing will be able to stop what the Lord intends to do. No sea, no river, no sin, no evil. A highway, verse 16, Get this image in your head. Assyria is the place of coming captivity of God's people. And there's going to be a highway leading from Assyria back to the freedom of Zion, Jerusalem, where God's people are. A highway for the free people to go and live under the rule of Messiah. And what does he say about it? His resting place is going to be glorious. Isaiah's people. They needed to hear this. Think of it. They were God's people. Think of it. They were the children of Abraham. Abraham. Think of it. They'd been ruled by King David. Think of it. They knew the covenants. They professed Yahweh. The I am. They'd been delivered from Egypt by the hand of Moses. The sea parting, provided for in the wilderness. The pillar of cloud and fire. Think of it. And now, it's the dark days of judgment and exile to come. 
And they needed to hear that a Messiah would come again. They needed to hear that there would be a road leading out of Assyria back to God's homeland and God's city where Christ would reign, the Messiah would reign. They needed this so that their hearts would stay hopeful and their faith would stay alive. And we need to hear it today. So what, what's the application? You, you've just been going on and on about the Messiah. Just tell me what to do. I know none of you really asked that question. Totally for effect, I'm, I'm sure. What do you do? If we go home today with nothing other than a fresh vision of Jesus, we've gone home with everything. If we go home today with a fresh, clear-eyed, faith-building hope-sustaining vision of Jesus, then the Holy Spirit has been kind to us today. If you've never, ever seen Jesus like this, and you see that you need Him, and you repent and believe and become a Christian, you will receive, you will have received the greatest gift you could ever receive. From God Himself. See Him, and you'll start seeking Him. How do I seek the kingdom of God? See the King, and you'll trust Him. My heart's not trusting enough. How? Tell me, how can I have a more trusting heart? See Him? I don't love. How can I love more? How can I love God more? How can I love the Lord my God with my whole being as He told me to see Him? How can I stop judging the reality of my life on my few, few short years on this earth? See the kingdom that is eternal, that whether you live a few years, a few decades, or to 120, in the grand scheme of things, it's all a breath. When you put it in perspective to the eternal kingdom of God where Jesus Christ rules and reigns, see your life that way. See your life in the kingdom of God. How do I have any hope? that my life matters in this world. See Christ, who's making you like Him, who's using you now for His glory on this earth, but whose ultimate purpose is to get you to stand before His glory, His glory blameless, without spot or wrinkle, in great joy. Seeing Jesus is what explains the prayer at the very end of the Bible. Come, Lord Jesus. If you've asked, how can I ever pray that prayer? I don't ever pray that prayer, come, Lord Jesus. If you say to yourself, I've, I don't believe that the prayer, come, Lord Jesus, which is at the very end of the Bible, I don't believe that has ever just spontaneously come out of my mouth. Why? 
Because you don't see Jesus. Because if you see Jesus, you long for his return. You live faithfully. You don't check out, but you long. And you live with the prayer upon your lips. Come, Lord Jesus. I hope you see. I hope you believe. I hope you hope today. Father, thank you for your word. 